yeah, so no, I haven't got my computer yet, uh, my work machine. It's supposed to come mid-September. I don't think it has, it's even shipped yet. Um, it's just moving slower. Half your keys are going to fail by then. What are you going to do? Well, I'll just keep using it in clamshell until then, I guess. <laughs> and let it overheat instead? Perfect. It is actually 187. It was like 205 degrees earlier, uh, but now it's at 189. But yeah, no, I've been, I just, I don't know, the whole company sort of standardizes. I know there's a few people that do use Windows there, but like uh, in looking at some documentation and looking at things, it's definitely Mac OS is preferred in terms of how they work or the tools that they're familiar with. So, you know, there's some guy there running System76 laptop, right? Oh, there's got to be. Yeah. But um, yeah, I'd rather put my energy into other things as opposed to spearheading the windows documentation effort (laughs) (laughs) your time is better spent elsewhere yeah from the from the looks of it i mean pretty busy too it's what's the strangest thing is is having all of my meetings scheduled for me so you know i got into some accounts early because i didn't want to if i'm like i already know i have several meetings on monday and i don't want to have to be running yeah so you're not starting till next week correct right 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 um, but they've got me into my accounts and stuff. So I went and set them up because I didn't want to do that on Monday and, and have to juggle meetings and whatever else too. So I just got went ahead and took care of it. Uh, but I guess what I was talking about was, um, you know, that's why I got into my calendar. What is next week? Uh, oh yeah, Thomas, uh, from everybody listening as well, but from the chat, Thomas, I'm starting my new job next week. So the day before this episode comes out. Oh, Actually, you would have, everyone would have heard this episode. Sorry, the 31st. Yes. Um, but yeah, so I got to look at my calendar and I have meetings scheduled out like months, months in advance. Oh my God. That was, that was wild. Like, it's nice. It feels strange to like log in and just, okay, I have to be here at this time and I have to be there at that time and not have to be the one to plan it because with Side Door, I was sort of the one that would always like, oh, I'll put it on the calendar. Oh, there's a meeting that time. I'll put that on the calendar. Oh, you guys want to have a call? I'll put that on the calendar. So it was kind of a nice change of pace. I mean, I'll, I'm, I'm sure I might feel differently after a few months <laughs> about meetings, but uh, it was definitely nice logging in and have everything sorted. Having meetings three months out, like that's some that's some commitment. <clears throat> well, I I have to be really careful about what I talk about, probably. <laughs> probably. But the first project that I'm on the dev cycle is 23 weeks. So, so, so half a year, six months. Mm-hmm. Whew. that's going to be some hell of a sprint yeah it's going to be it's going to be real interesting because uh I, like I, I mentioned earlier probably before we started recording that i was working half a week this is my last week at side door and so i was spending that extra time um jumping back like deeper into javascript like turning my php brain off turning my javascript brain back on uh jumping back into node jumping back into react just sort of trying to get familiar again before i have to hit the ground running and some rails too it looks like oh yeah so yeah yep yep rails i i don't honestly i don't know when a rails project would happen it that's more of like if we have a greenfield thing come in the door and we get to choose and it's big then it's going to be a rails backend that's sort of what they like to standardize on so i'll have to level up there as well but i think my time better is better spent now getting you know back into the react ecosystem and getting those legs under me are you just poking around and seeing what's new? Or are you building any little fun side projects or anything like that? Like, what's your approach here? Uh, building. Kind of, yeah, just building. So uh, last week I mentioned I've, I've been working on the Execute program or taking their classes. And that's been like great approach. I've been really, really happy with the progress. Like, I feel like I'm able to re- retain the information, which is great because I feel like I struggle with that sometimes, being able to retain things. And I, and we think we talked about last week because that's because I tried to bite off too much a lot. Like I try to do too much and I can't retain it, but I feel like it's been sticking. So I've been doing that. And then I've also been building things. So I'm building a new personal site with Next um, instead of Nuxt. You kind of went back backwards there, right? Because Nuxt was based off of Next. Correct. Yeah. Um and also I'm working on just a really simple like link shortener share with node, just, you know, using express or fastify or whatever I decide on and react to do that. So just trying to build, build things. So fair warning, uh, while you're building a link shortener, you're going to actually put it out there. No. <laughs> okay, good. 
uh, I built a link shortener for fun. It actually all started because I think I was using like Bitly or one of those URL shorteners. It might have been like shorturl.com or whatever, one of those old ones, right? And they had this concept of like reserved URLs. You, you could pick a keyword that wasn't taken and you could have that point to whatever URL and you had that forever. So I wanted to make a URL to a, a funny video we had made in college and my URL was taken. I was like, ah, oh, dang, I got to build my own URL shortener now. <laughs> Did it in Rails in a weekend and put it out there for my own personal use. And uh, it quickly was overwhelmed by spam and scammers and... Oh my god, it was it was a mess, dude. It was just nonstop like porn and advertising, like yikes. Oh my god, it was so bad. And we I did actually have someone put it into uh Ubuntu, the operating system. Like they have a had a built-in URL shortener and they actually like got it in there for a couple of versions, which was kind of cool. That's interesting. But uh yeah, it eventually got so bad that Google Chrome like flagged it as a malicious site. <laughs> you yeah. go to you would go to the URL, the domain name, and try to follow one of the links, and it would just like throw up big red warnings and stuff. So, yeah, I just I just shut that down. It was just a waste. But yeah, I don't even. I'll probably just use SQLite or something. You know, I'm not worried. I'm not trying to put a link shortener out there. There's already like a bunch that exist, but also like you said, they're kind of a target. It's more yeah. It's just more of a here's sort of a known thing. Uh, so if the business domain is known, use a tech that you don't know to build it as for like a learning exercise. That's what I'm mm -hmm. doing. Mm -hmm. So, but it's funny you, you mentioned that because last night I was laying in bed and I was looking for like a, a reading light type thing. So the, the phone's flashlight is so bright, I can't use it to read a book. Uh, and so they make like, you know, flashlights where you can set the color of the iPhone screen and brightness to like a red or like a tan. So it's not super harshly blue. Uh, and of course all the free ones have ads and I was reading the, a review on one and, uh, the reviewer was saying that their kid had been using it and, uh, one of the ads popped up, uh, was like a hardcore porn ad that just came up. Uh, so I was like, I don't think I'm going to download that one. Oh my <laughs> you know? God. I mean, the, I'm sure the, the developer was using some sort of like ad plugin, right? Ad network plugin or something like that. So it's probably not their fault necessarily, but yeah, just is uh your your note about your URL thing getting hijacked reminded me of that. Oh yeah. You just you just open that that up and just uh the internet is a terrible place. Terrible place. Yeah, so like I said, um node for a while. Uh Express is like a safe bet, I think. Fastify looks pretty cool though. It's supposed to be super fast, like faster than Express that people I always hear people say Express is slow, but honestly it's probably fine, right? Um, if you if you if you're like oh it's slow because this other benchmark is says Express is slow you're probably still okay, but Fastify has some neat features built into it like um, you can you can use what is it uh, JSON schema so you have it automatically like validate input payload from the outside world for making an API or whatever um, and there's some other like you know it, it basically has a little bit a few more batteries included than Express does because Express is like as bare as it gets you know. And, uh, and then I was probably going to use objection, I think, for my ORM or, you know, query builder, what have you. Just some more leaves on the Node.js dependency tree. Yes. Some more Legos, right? Yeah, Legos or, or just ingredients in a soup. Like, pick your analogy. Plate of spaghetti. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, Laravel Con, what is it? Was it Laravel Con? Laracon? Laracon, that's it. Uh, happened. It was like the virtual one, right? And there were a few things announced that I was like, oh man, this would be nice to have if I were if I were having to do like a big app from scratch. So I think I'm definitely going to miss Laravel a little bit, if not for some of the convenience aspects of it. By the way, quick sidebar, ElixirConf is coming up next week. So we won't be able to talk about it on next show, but the show after that, hopefully we'll have some goody new stuff to talk about. I'm excited to hear about it. Uh, but yeah, that's what I've been, that's what I've been up to is just JavaScripting, um, on my, my half days. And TypeScripting too, right? Yeah. TypeScripting. Yep. How's that going? How do you feel about types? How do they make you so, feel? So I haven't built, uh, much with TypeScript. So my plan was to make the link shortener with just regular node or regular JS and then do it again with TypeScript 
or convert it to TypeScript, one of the two. Uh, but going through Execute Program's TypeScript course, they do a really good job of breaking it down and uh, also outlining some of the gotchas, which which is great. So talking about union types and, uh, you know, if you if you are using union types, you can't... Um, it's so like if you if you have a union type as as like a variable like a variable that says takes this or that you have to be careful about what you're sending it because you have to satisfy that contract um and i'll make i'll put a link to an article about it but there's a lot of smaller smaller gotchas that can happen i guess in designing your types or trying to get maybe too fancy with your types uh, but so far it's been fine it sounds like a side effect of trying to slap types on a on a loosely typed language <laughs> basically Right, yeah, because it, I mean, because it compiles to JavaScript, right? Like, there's no runtime portion of TypeScript, so it just compiles down to JS. They have to do, they have to embrace some of the, uh, some of the badness or awkwardness, I suppose. Do you think so? One of the big things with Elm, which I haven't heard about Elm in years now. I don't know where that's at, but people always talked about Elm as this, like, on this, on this golden, golden altar. You will never have a runtime exception when you're using Elm. And of course, Elm does compile a JavaScript, but the language itself is so locked down and like handling every single case that you'll never get null reference exceptions. You'll never get any kind of runtime exception because there's never a case that you can't handle. Asterisk, you know, until right. you start to like go out to external JavaScript and et cetera, right? But so does TypeScript have that same sort of push, that sort of drive, or is it is it not quite that strict? Not quite that strict. Okay. Um, so you will eliminate the vast majority of issues that you might have, uh, especially foot gun issues that you might have writing JavaScript. Um, what, what's really interesting is that uh, I'll link this as well. Uh, Execute Program has an article. Uh, so Execute Program, one of the main, one of the creators is Gary Bernhardt, and he's a very big Ruby guy. And, and so Execute Program's backend was originally done in Ruby, and they ported it uh, over to TypeScript. And so he has a whole article about like why they ported it to TypeScript. Uh, I mean, a portion of it or part of it was because it brings them a line, it brings them closer to the front end of the stack. So their front end was using TypeScript. So by going, taking the back end also to TypeScript, they can uh, share some of those types and kind of just make things tighter, right? So if it's, if 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 the the API side of it is strongly typed and the front end side of it is strongly typed, you can kind of almost guarantee that. You know, so if you make a change, it'll bubble all the way through to the, if you make like a type change, it'll bubble all the way through to the front end. So you have to clean it at all levels. Uh, so you won't accidentally, or it'll be a much harder to accidentally miss something. That's at like the API level? Yeah, API all the way to, all the way to the front end though, because if it's all in TypeScript, yeah. That's what I mean. But like that, that boundary, it enforces that, that API boundary yeah, somehow yeah, yeah, by, yeah. by inspecting the types. That's pretty cool. Yep. Um, yeah, there's a, uh, again, in the article, it's not fresh enough in my memory to know the name of the thing they're using, but they're using a specific thing for this. Uh, in fact, there's a, a podcast I'll also link where, um, Gary talks with Adam Wathen about this specifically, uh, because the majority of the podcast was about, well, if I'm writing TypeScript, I don't have to test much. Right. And Gary was like, that's entirely about how you approach writing TypeScript and how you approach writing the code. If you write TypeScript like you write JavaScript, it's going to save you a lot, but you're also going to have to end up typing or testing a lot, you know? But to go back to your, will you never have a runtime error? That can still happen. It's still technically possible because at the end of the day, it's still running JavaScript, right? There's no other runtime. I guess Elm probably would be too, right? Just running regular JavaScript, but... Um, it it solves a lot of problems for you, or it really helps you out quite a bit. That's cool. I imagine it'd be especially valuable on a server environment where everything is in Node. You don't have to deal with necessarily like a browser API and you know all the 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 crud that's associated with that. Like you kind of have this sort of slightly cleaner plate that you can base your program off of. Although any dependencies that you use that don't have TypeScript in them, that's your kind of SOL at that point, unless someone's I don't know if people can wrap up other libraries in TypeScript or provide types or PRs or I don't know how that all thing works. I mean, I know TypeScript can obviously like has mechanisms to just call into vanilla JS, but seems uh, fraught. I would I would think. Um. Yeah, and I guess too, it really depends on if you're talking about, you know, if you're using TypeScript, not all of your dependencies might be using TypeScript. 
Yeah, I guess it really depends on even if you are using a TypeScript dependency, was it converted from JavaScript and how loosely uh, are the authors sort of working with types, right? Are they using any all over the place? Because you could do that and basically throw any any type help out the window at that point. So yeah, I think there's a lot of variables and you are still at the mercy of the ecosystem. But it's also interesting in that article because, or in the podcast rather, because um, they were talking about uh, databases and migrations and changing fields and stuff. And Gary had mentioned that he wrote uh, the tooling that they use for their database. So he has complete control over it. He knows exactly how it works. He can guarantee how the transactions works and things like that. Danger, danger, danger. And they, he also wrote the test runner that they use for their tests. He said it was like they're both very small utilities that he wrote, which I thought was interesting, you know, because that's on the top of my list of things I don't want to write is that, you know, database, database things. But he's also in a different league than I am, too. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think like, you know, TypeScript, I think it's just going to keep getting bigger and bigger. Um, and it, it already seems like, you know, there's obviously barrier to entry and that you have to learn about you know, types and you have to learn how to, you, you don't want to approach TypeScript like you're just writing JavaScript and it's just like a thing to help you not make mistakes. Right. I don't think you want to approach it that way. I want to, I think you want to approach it at a holistic level. Like this is something new, right? It does compile the JavaScript in the end of the day and there's some interrupt there, you know, but this is, there's like a new way that I can approach this. Um, I think that's probably the best way to, to go about it. Yeah, that's true because JavaScript is an object oriented language ostensibly although it's objects-oriented. Design is kind of weird and, and unique in the world of languages, but having types and having object-oriented design are sort of, they're separate things. Like, you can have one or the other, but having them both forces you to sort of think about how you design your objects and your classes and inheritance. And JavaScript doesn't have a lot of object-oriented features that types would make nicer things like you know explicit interfaces i'm sure there's some typescript thing for it i don't know if they have something like a protocol or or whatnot or interface or something like that i'd have to i have to look deeper i'm only yeah. like halfway through the course so okay I, up until this point it's really been a lot of exercises in making sure well and this is why i really appreciated the approach that execute program took with typescript was because um, they take it at the very most simple level, like here's here's where TypeScript's going to help you for now. And then you go through and you learn about like, okay, what types are there, how to make your own type. Um, and then they jump right to how to follow the, a type through things, right? So going from, from a function call back to a variable. So basically being able to trace where type comes from, where it's been defined. And then also like if you're getting an error, how to track that down like where does what this message says this thing specifically but this is where you would end up going so practically how you handle errors or like read stack traces if there's a type error and and one of the cool features i think is that they they force you to review right so the space repetition so you do some things you wait a day and then next day you review uh and half about half of the questions they ask you uh could result in an error so you actually actually know like is this a syntax error is this a type error and to answer the question you actually write type error syntax error or whatever the function returns or evaluates and returns right um so i really like that because i don't think i've ever really taken any courses or done any studies that treat errors firsthand like that like you have to actually know oh this will result in a type error i thought that was really cool that is cool so any every question is a trick question kind of Kind of, yeah. I mean, the way they outline it is is when you go through it, you know, you'll read something, it'll demonstrate something, and then it'll ask you a question, and you reinforce that something, right? And so they do that with errors, too. So they're saying, in this case, this specifically will cause an error because this. And then they'll show you an example, and then you'll have to type an example that results in the type error. So it kind of, like, gets it into your brain. And so when you get to the review, it doesn't feel like a trick question. It sort of feels like, oh, that's going to be a type error. Mm -hmm. it's not like i'm like oh this should return okay no okay oh it's a, probably an error if none of the other things i'm guessing are working it's like oh no this is an error so uh i really really appreciated that approach that's pretty good that's cool i'm glad you're i'm glad you're having success with that program i think so i mean i haven't written anything with it like typescript yet but um i feel at any rate i feel like i have a better understanding of some of the lower level things after even like, cause I've read through some of the TypeScript docs before. Uh, so 
I think I think the XU program is doing a good job at at making you aware of nuance and then making you practice that nuance so you remember it. So I don't know what your editor of choice is today, but VS Code support for TypeScript is insanely good. It it, it catches me by surprise. E- even its introspection of just regular JavaScript is is surprisingly good. But as soon as you start adding types in there, so it knows where to actually look for things. Uh, it's basically as good as as Visual Studio, like .NET autocomplete. It's it's pretty amazing. So um, I have used VS Code a little bit, uh, especially when I'm using Windows mainly. It's just a little easier to to jump into than with WebStorm stuff because you have to, if you're configuring a project, you have to tell it to use the remote interpreter and all that stuff. Uh, whereas VS Code just connects automatically, right? Um, the WebStorm has really, really good types of TypeScript support as well. And I would argue that it has better everything else support in terms. So for example, if you use create next app, uh, it's going to create a bare bones directory in one of the, one of the, uh, in the first component, it links to a CSS module file. And if you try to just jump to definition in VS code, it won't do anything. WebStorm, it'll just work. So I'm sure you can make that work with VS Code. Like I'm not trying, VS Code's a good editor. Um, but for me, with less configuration out of the box, it does more things in a general, more broader sense than outside of TypeScript than VS Code does. That's really cool. But I think like going into going into a new company, I'm more interested in if they have tooling and configs and, and docs ready and they're all using VS Code, then it makes sense for me to do that too because I would rather just play by their rules and instead of having to be like, oh, sorry, my editor was configured differently. Let me, let me redo this or, you know, fix it or whatever. I think that's something I'm going to try to avoid. Or you could be the guy that introduces a new editor into the ecosystem and everyone loves it and it just spreads like wildfire. I don't know. I did see a screenshot of WebStorm uh, in development channel in Slack. So. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I mean, in my interview, one person was using Sublime, one person was using VS Code or in the... In the, the second interview I had. So it was already a mixed bag at that point. I guess that's good though. I mean, it's whatever you're most productive with, as long as it's, you know, the bits get pushed to get somewhere. Exactly. Yeah. But if they have configs I can rely on that I'll, I'll go that route, but uh, I still prefer WebStorm. but yeah, VS code is fine. And as long as the bright, prettier config is loaded and the thing doesn't reformat everything. <laughs> and as long as the editor config plugin doesn't have that bug where it repla- it like pushes your cursor to a random spot on the line. Mm. Uh, I found out what's causing the bug. It's not fixed yet. But uh, I guess if anyone doesn't remember or isn't aware, I was having this issue in VS Code where I would be typing and then my cursor would like jump back two characters. <laughs> or jump forward three characters or whatever. Usually backwards, though. You're sure it wasn't your MacBook keyboard? Thousand percent sure. Uh, so I end up I end up like disabling all plugins and enabling them one by one. Uh, and then I found out it was happening when I had editor config plugin on because I always use an edit, editor config file to just tell me like tabs and spaces, you know, just general style like style things. And I go to the GitHub and I found out that other people are having the problem too. And one person turned off the line ending setting in the uh, or they deleted that line out of the editor config and it fixed the bug. So there's some conflict with like the line editor setting and trimming white space at the end of a line and it was causing my cursor to jump around in VS Code. It was it was mind numbing uh to to track that down. But um as long as that's not happening, you're good. <laughs> I mean I can say that with WebStorm or IntelliJ, I've been using them for a little while now. I've never had my cursor just doing seemingly like its own thing. I was doing a live share with Thomas and I had the Vim plugin going and it was jacking his side of things up. So I had to disable it. <laughs> but yeah, I feel I feel like in the in the upcoming weeks I'll be able to speak about it TypeScript more intelligently because right now it's more so passing reference and review. So I think like once I start actually writing stuff, it'll it'll stick and I'll be able to report more of my findings and my feelings on it. Yeah. I, I mean I'm just shooting from the hip here as well. I think it's cool that Microsoft basically did Microsoft develop TypeScript? They they basically single handedly support it at this point, right? Yeah, I don't know if they were the, if they started it from the start or like picked it up or somewhere along the way. But um, yeah, they're they're a big supporter of it. Yeah, it's cool to have that that sort of level of support from a real business that sort of guarantees the longevity, right? We always have that question about dependencies going stale and projects being abandoned and tools that we rely on day to day. Like, where are they going to be in one year, two years, five years? 
but having having TypeScript have that backing is nice, and obviously it just also pushes it forward really quickly with the resources they have to put behind it, plus all the support from all the tooling around it. Yeah, so Thomas in the chat said that it's it's the same language developer that actually created C Sharp. So yeah, it probably did originate from inside Microsoft. That's a cool little note. Hmm. Thanks for sharing that, Thomas. Yeah, I'm interested in it. Like I've been interested in it for a while. Um, you know, there is there is a fair bit of people out there that say like you probably don't need it uh, if you're not working on a big app or large app or with lots of developers. You probably don't need it, or if you're not building a something that can, gets consumed by a lot of other people, like like Vue, for example. Right? I think it makes complete sense for Vue to go TypeScript because you get to typing. I mean, it's you know, it's you get the benefits that we talked about with 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 TypeScript where it's you know, strongly typed and you get the checking, the compilation checking and all that stuff. Um, but then also you get the type definition. So like other editors like VS code can pick that up and help other people when they're just writing view. Right. Yeah. Think about from a library developer's perspective, how much types would cut down on support tickets, GitHub issues from people who don't know what they're doing, all that stuff. Yeah. I think like, so I was mentioning that there's a fair bit of people, well, at least on Twitter, I'd I don't, that's where I've just where I've seen people complaining about it, but saying that it's not necessary for most people, but there is a big trend to go towards it. And in general, people that have used it, yeah, there's nitpicks and things like that. But in general, people have said it's been a much smoother experience in working with the team. So, I mean, that's like convincing enough for me, you know? Yeah, I got to find an excuse to start playing around with that next Greenfield project. Well, I'll have, I'll probably have some experience to, to lend your way, hopefully. Cool. Looking forward to it. So you got a couple more days. Uh, one. One more day left. Final day. You can do a victory lap. You got an exit interview. Nope. No exit interview. Not that I'm aware of. It's uh, very anticlimactic. You're basically done now. You're basically checked out. You're in. You got senioritis. You're done. What? That's, uh, yeah, that's, that's a good way to put it. Senioritis. It's just going to end. And uh, I don't know. How do you feel? Like, do you, do you worry about what they're going to do without you? Like, are you worried about no. your new job? Like, where are you at right now? Um, I'm not super worried about side door. Like, Jag, they're 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 doing great in Jaggy's hands. They'll, they'll be fine, right? They'll be they'll be fine. Yeah. And what was also encouraging was that I would realized in the last couple of months, really, that I I'm sort of a a shortcut, right? So some of the non-technical employees would have seen me as uh, the tech guru that will just fix or answer questions when the, probably like my time would be better spent doing other things, right? So instead of someone learning how to do something on their own, they would just have me do it or they would do it incorrectly and have me fix it. And that, that was just a constant. I was just always there. So I guess one thing that was encouraging was I saw a Slack channel startup called Learning Center and they started sharing articles and videos on how to use Intercom and Google Sheets and other things. And so I thought that was great. Uh, and one of the messages was like our tech guru is going away so or, or won't be able to like be there all the time to answer questions. So and we should probably level up. And I'm thinking to myself like, yes, we should. <laughs> You're saying this now? Yeah. Um, that's, that's, that, w- that was really encouraging to see though. So, Tech guru, man. You've achieved a higher plane of existence, tech guru. Well, I guess that was like an unofficial role that I was doing was tech support, internal tech support. So uh, it is what it is. I mean, with the new job, though, it's a little bit intimidating because uh, it's like almost close to 200 people. So, you know, the largest company I ever actually worked for was like 12. Uh, so we're going to 200 now. And there's like a legit HR department. There's... Not that there's anything wrong with that, but I think more so like there's more peers maybe. Uh, and I that's what I was looking for, honestly. Like that's what drew me to this opening was be having more peers like that, especially on the same level, being able to review commits and view code and, and all that stuff. But I think more more so like with the current job that I've had, it's easy to fudge timelines because no one really cared if we had to push anything back, you know? Uh, and with the new job, it definitely matters because this is a consulting gig, right? So you 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 pitch budgets and timelines, and those are agreed upon and set in a contract. Uh, and and so if you get those wrong, you either a have to go back and say we have to move this, which could have monetary monetary consequences on the company, which isn't great. Or you know you you miss shipping something for a company that has like a whole marketing 
push queued up for something, you know? Uh, so there's, I feel like there's more, more skin in the game in terms of shipping something on time. And I haven't, I obviously like, I consider deadlines on my current job, but this feels like a different level in that sense. And I've worked consulting before, but again, that was for a smaller firm. And this, the firm that I'm going to, uh, the clients are larger, the projects are bigger, the budgets are larger. I feel like that's a little bit intimidating. Do you have a particular team of people you're, you know, you're going to be working with like a size, a small size team, or is it just going to change depending on the project? It changes depending on the project. So I know the first project that I'll be working on and I know who I'll be working with. Um, I don't think they're throwing me to the wolves right away. Uh, I have an onboarding buddy, which is another engineering lead there. That's awesome. So I might be shadowing with him a little bit, maybe. And uh, going that route, but I already know what project I'm going to be working on, and I already know what developer I'm going to be working with. Uh, so that's that was a little. Um, oh, it's real. Yeah, like, this person's going to be depending on me to like know what I'm doing. It must be nice to have all that structure, though. Yeah, I think. I mean, I think so. I, I I've never had that structure before, so we'll find out practically. I I think <laughs> like what that looks like, but. I am kind of looking forward to that. Like I said, like with, with side door, I mean, I don't mean to like disparage any of my coworkers, but I was always the one, like if we're having a conversation and we need to schedule a call, I was always the one that would put it in, in, in the calendar. I was always managing that side of organizational side of things. And it was wild to sign into my calendar and be like, oh, okay, I know what next week looks like. And I know what the week after that looks like. And I know what the week after that looks like. So that was kind of nice. I think the other, the other thing that's maybe a little bit intimidating to me is I've worked on my own crap, right? Like I've been a pig in my own sty, so to speak, for the past few years. Uh, and and I know that what MetaLab does a lot is, you know, we do some back-end work, but we predominantly do front-end work, either greenfield front-end or rebuilds uh, of existing front-ends. So that means that we are doing a rebuild of an existing front-end that sits on top of or consumes an existing back-end that we don't have the power to change. So that's also a new thing for me. In, in And again, the consulting company I worked with before I did DK and Side Door was mostly Greenfield. We didn't ever do like enterprise contracts where we had to come in and rebuild a UI on top of an existing backend. Uh, so that's really interesting for me to think about like what tech, I mean, the tech stack could be all over the place, right? You know, um, and the API design could be all over the place. And we still have to produce a quality piece of of UI or a quality front end app, regardless of whatever we have to work with on the other side. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I think we're going to have to, or I might have to learn how to flex those. I don't, I guess the term is front end for back end. I've been calling it middle end for a while, you know, like not quite the UI, but like the complicated stuff of the, the front end. So, but middle end, front end logic that's not directly related to like painting things on the screen. Yeah, it's it's all of the data massaging and logic in terms of getting the data in the shape that the UI needs it to be, or taking the shape of the data from the UI and serializing it in a way that the back end needs it. Um, so the middle end, right? Middle out stack, Thomas says. Uh, I've had yeah, several out. people say to me front end for back end recently, so I don't know if that was a coin term or whatever, but... I'm looking forward to that challenge, but it's also a little intimidating thinking like I could land on an enterprise contract where I'm having to work with potentially soap, you know what I mean? Or just, yeah, just different, different things. So that's exciting, but also a little intimidating at the same time. But yeah, I don't know. Like it, it, it's, I think it's a good change and I think I need a change of pace. That's why I started looking in the first place. But the only thing I can control right now is getting react into my brain. So that's what I'm doing. <laughs> And Next.js seems fantastic, to be honest. They've got some really, really neat uh, features there. So just so far, I've landed on good software, which is awesome. I am a little worried about, like we were talking about earlier, Legos and not having the layer of allness of like, here's everything you need in a tool bag, you know, um, mm -hmm. pre-made for you. So, but I'm sure, I'm sure it'll be fine. At least you'll have the... Uh... Like the, the precedent has been set by previous products that they've done. So I'm sure they have a set of sort of blessed tools that people know and use for projects. Yes. In fact, they have that all documented as well, I assume for salespeople or people working on contracts as well. But yeah, so that's how I learned that, you know, Rails and Node were the two big things that they work on. And I, I haven't found any documentation in terms of libraries or things like that, you know, but um, 
there were a lot of people. What was really cool was that people would come into the dev channel, like they'd pop in whenever they needed to, to ask about, hey, we're we're working on this, like pitching this project. Do you know about headless CMSs? Like at US developers for this company, what do you recommend? What do you want to avoid? Or do you know about this particular technology? What should we avoid? What should we? So I thought that was really cool. And then they would, you know, leave the channel when they weren't, when they got their information. But uh, okay. I thought that was really a positive, positive thing to see. That's the equivalent of like walking down out of your cubicle aisle and going over to like three aisles and, and going over to some other team and poking your head in a few cubes. A little more efficient though. Right. I thought, I, I thought that was good that they would pop in and ask questions and leaving the channel. That's the key part there because you, you just, cut all that noise right out if you don't need it right i was expecting slack to be a wild just party of yeah 200 right? people and it was like crickets it's probably good they're probably very uh restrained from they probably learned very quickly that it doesn't yeah. scale if you just keep blasting stuff at it i'm sure yeah it was pretty nice so so far i don't officially work for them yet it was you know, I was poking around in the Slack and stuff, and everyone was chill about it. They're like, hey, everyone's been super welcoming, which was awesome. But yeah, so far, I haven't had any really like, oh, no, that's going to mute that channel or whatever. You know, I haven't had to do that. So I wonder how long you're going to work there before you actually meet someone from the company. That's a good question, because uh, normally for onboarding, they fly you to Victoria for a week because they have headquarters in Victoria and Vancouver. And so they typically bring you up to Victoria for a week because that was the first the first headquarters. Uh, and they're like, well, we can't do that right now. We'll do it eventually, but uh, can't do it right now. So like, for example, when Paul was onboarding there, um, he went to Victoria for a week and he said it was an awesome experience. So, But I do have a ton of Zoom one-on-ones next week. Mm. <laughs> oh, no. So it begins. Yeah. I'm okay with that, though. At least I'm not like expected to write code the first week, as far as I know. It's mostly just talking. <laughs> My first week at Agilent, they threw me on a project that needed to get done real quickly, and within the course of like a week, I had a few hundred thousand dollars of equipment in a rack in my <laughs> cubicle. <laughs> no pressure, right? No pressure, yeah. Yeah, hopefully onboarding is chill, but we're, we'll find out. I'll talk about it on Thursday, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. Very cool. I'm really excited for you. Yeah, who el- who would have thought that 230 episodes later I'd be writing React full-time? <laughs> what a trip it has been. Well, while you're writing React, I spent 12 hours writing Vue.js today. What were, you, uh, what were you working on? Well, long story short, rockwellstruck.com, my personal site, uh, a little long in the tooth, out of date, crappy design. Uh, just just had an old picture, old info, dead links. Half the links were not even working. Time for an overhaul. And uh, so, and I figure that's an important part. That's an important thing to work on. You know, it's kind of how I market myself. It's how people find me. And uh, I don't know, I don't have a LinkedIn profile or anything like that. So I wanted to, my, you know, just work on my, work on gardening, my my little personal space here you know i don't i don't do facebook my public profiles whatever i barely even go on there anymore twitter i don't even really use that much so had to have something out there right so rockwashrock.com started working out last night created a squarespace account use the promo code atpfm for 10 percent off your first order Ooh, (laughs) how many times i heard that ad went into the resumes they're like like maybe a dozen templates Found one that was kind of modern, cool, edgy, started working on it, and just immediately wanted to, like, throw my magic mouse through the wall. (laughs) Squarespace is great. I really wanted this kind of, like, this no overhead. Like, I just wanted to kind of get my stuff out there and get it done, but the the, the tooling and the templates and stuff was just not, like, I just needed that control, you know? It was just not going to give it to me. Their editor is just okay. Like, I'm sure it's good for people who are not techie, but in my head, all I'm just like, I'm seeing codes and divs and tailwind classes and that I can't put in the code. So, so I went to bed frustrated, woke up at 6 a.m. because I, I don't know, just couldn't get back to sleep, made a project, <laughs> package.json, added Nux and just started going to town. And I got to tell you, first off, holy crap, Nux has gone, gone really far. Like, since the last time I created a Nux project, Tailwind even better like tailwind itself has gotten better just just consistently has gotten better has not gotten any worse 
And they just recently, I think a few months ago, there's an official Nux.js Tailwind CSS plugin. You just add the dependency, you add one line to your Nux config file, and you're done. Mm-hmm. You get Tailwind, you can do your own configs, it does purge CSS in production. Awesome. Like, you don't have to worry about configuring Webpack and all that crap. Just friggin' one line and you're done. It's just so, so nice. So I was really, really happy about that. I know I had Netlify in my future for deployment, but that's for later, right? So I just started uh, hacking on it. You know, I kind of used some of some designs as kind of inspiration and just did something really, really simple. I wanted my design chops aren't great. I leaned on you for a couple questions. Thank you. Appreciate it. <laughs> no worries. Your feedback. And uh, yeah, I just started giving things up and just seeing where it would lead me. I didn't really even sketch anything out on paper. I don't know. It's a bad way to do things, but whatever. I just need to get something out there, right? Even if the design is not great, the uh, content needed to be needed to be done. That's honestly the majority of the work, right? It's just the, the content, right? Because I wanted to get all of my past works and appearances and talks and and jobs and like basically your whole resume plus all that other crap mm-hmm. in there, which was majority of the time. But I spent an inordinate amount of time just staring at like I'm going to be seeing Tailwind classes in my sleep tonight. I'm going to close my eyes. I'm just going to see like margin bottom two. Like, it's just gonna. It's just what it is. That's great because I'll probably be seeing uh, styled components in my sleep <laughs> in the next couple of months. <laughs> But yeah, I was just really happy with the tooling and, you know, this is a, a single page application. I didn't, you know, worry about the next, you know, I don't need a universal app for this. Just a couple of static pages, get the styling in there and just, it's just such a, just a great platform for just building a small site like this. Like I really, historically I would go some other route, you know, I would use probably Jekyll and uh, use the, you know, Ruby and templating and use their templating right. engine and do the pages and stuff like that. But now that I'm so deep in the JavaScript ecosystem, using a JavaScript framework for building pages, just it's just a no-brainer. You know, it's, it's not a full application. And actually, I would argue that because this application is so simple, you get the most benefit out of the framework, right? Because you're literally doing the simplest use case. There's right. no edge cases. There's no weirdness. You're not doing hacks or or using any escape hatches. It's just, just down straight down the path. Uh, did you check out anything like, uh, well, I guess Nux now has full static site generation because before it was sort of like a semi-static site where they would sort of generate, but they would still have to have JavaScript like build the pages. Oh, you know what? I need to look into that because I was surprised. It's funny you mentioned that. So I ran Nux generate. It isn't a single page app mode. Mm. I ran Nux generate and I did get my files and I, you know, it worked, but I viewed source on it expecting to see HTML. And I just saw a blob of, of obfuscated JavaScript, and that really confused me. And now that you said that, I'm definitely going to go back and do that because that seems way better. They do. They used to not have that. That was like their like what you saw was their SSG, um, but now they have true static builds. Uh, also, another cool thing, if you haven't seen this, is Nux content. Uh, so I remember like people would always try to use a Nux to make a blog and they'd always there was like all these kind of like half baked ways to pull content into your Nux app. This looks really sick. So Nux content uh you can basically have it pull in a markdown, JSON, YAML, whatever, CSV, and then it puts it into it what it says a MongoDB like API. So just a document type API. Um and then you basically just like or similar to Gatsby or Gridsum, you basically have an API that runs under the hood that you can use to get at your content. Yes, this is what I need because, for example, from my resume page, my CV, it's just lists of things, right? And mm-hmm. yeah, but I also need, so I want to be able to enumerate those things, but I also want to be able to write, you know, prose, long content with links and formatted and stuff. And I was like, man, I wish I could write these things in Markdown and just jam them in here yeah. without using a real CMS. This this seems like the solution, right? I mean, this is... This is yeah, exactly what you want. So another another way you could approach that, actually, I think Greg used to do this before he rebuilt his site with Go. Um, he was using something similar where you could use Markdown as your content. And uh, he would use, I forget what app it was, but on his iPad, he would go into GitHub and he could change his Markdown and then he could deploy, right? So he could commit it and then it would cause a deploy so it would rebuild his site. And so he would just do all his blogging in Markdown from his iPad. That's so cool. Yeah. 
Yeah, I definitely need it. This is more akin to how Jekyll works, where you write your blog posts and stuff in YAML files, and then it just uses template generation to to build the files. I think it's actually called Working Copy App. I'm pretty sure that's what the app is called. Yeah, Working Copy. That's a that's a Git client on iOS. Yep, yep. yep. So that's what he used before he redid his site and everything. But but yeah, Nux content looks amazing, um, and and Nux Real SSG looks really great too. Because what's interesting is that Next.js has what they call incremental SSG. So you could do A, the spa, B, the server rendered side, or you could do like a real SSG like you can with Nux now. But they have an incremental SSG where you can have parts of your page SSG'd and then JavaScript boots up and you get the rest of the page from an API or something like that, which I thought was neat. All right, this was in June of 2020. Target static in your Nux config.js, then run Nux generate, that's it. All right, I'm doing this as soon as we hang up on the call. <laughs> If it's that easy. Yeah, next to, like Nuxt and Next, they're doing some really compelling stuff in terms of, obviously, I just built Side Door. Uh, that's just a regular Laravel app with not much JS. But for a lot of things, like Nuxt and Next are really pretty compelling, especially if you have to bolt on to an API. Like, I, don't, I, I couldn't imagine myself starting a React app or, like, imagine myself not using next if i if i were able to right mm -hmm, mm -hmm. get you really far yeah i would say if you're writing a literally a single maybe less than three components that are being used you know piecemeal on some kind of other static page or whatever by all means write react but beyond that as soon as you start <laughs> putting react components in in the root of your page you've already lost yeah. And I mean, they both already do things for you, like, uh, like you know, code splitting and bundling is a huge one. Uh, like this inherent organization, right? Like with Nux, put your modules here, your plugins here. They just do so much for you that's pre-configured and there's rules that a team can follow. I think that's really a huge win as well. Uh, so hopefully, hopefully I get to use, you know, Next on, on some client work. That'd be really cool, I think. Yeah, I, I uh, published my source on GitHub already. I put a link in the show notes rockwashrock.com hyphen nuxt under my github repo did have a couple of issues that i wasn't able to solve that i haven't quite figured out yet and the first one is images so i uh want to put you know sort of static images on there a couple of logos and stuff but also some maybe photo galleries right like i kind of want to own that experience i don't want to have to rely on necessarily third-party servers or your third-party service or something like that. So I was trying to figure out a nice way to do that easily, but not also like just check in a bunch of huge images into my Git repo, right? Because they are mm -hmm. static files. And literally five minutes before we started recording, I was poking around Netlify. And of course they have, Netlify has a solution for this called Netlify Large Media, which utilizes, it's a some kind of plugin where Netlify CLI ties into this thing called Git LFS, which I assume stands for Large File System, mm -hmm. not 100% sure. And basically, from what I can tell, it's use Git as basically, instead of containing the files in Git, they're just text files that are pointers to like URLs, basically. And then the content is actually hosted somewhere else. So it allows you to version control content, but they're just pointers to the content. And that's as much as I've been able to figure out in the short amount of time to inspect it. Git LFS... Uh, this seems like it seems like it might be the solution. And, and Thomas in the chat uh, is saying that that's another Microsoft project. He said that Microsoft wrote it to move Git Windows to Git because he says the the source for Git or for Windows is around three hundred gigabytes. What sounds about right? That's wild. Is that including the history? <laughs> Probably not. Pretty wild. But yeah, Netlify is great. I was looking at Vercel a little bit um, just because I've always heard all the React people talk about it, and I've never used it. I guess it used to be called Now. Um, but yeah, it's similar to similar Netlify. It's more for like your your Jamstack sites with you know serverless functions for API things. But uh, Netlify is really killer. Yeah, I mean, I love. I I literally just pointed at my Git repo, told it to do Nux generate. It was done. And so my old site was also hosted on Netlify using that custom domain. So what I did was I went to the old project, I removed the custom domain, went over to the new project, added the custom domain. It was instantly available because I didn't even have to change any DNS because it's all just points at Netlify and then they figure out how to route it to your project, right? So 
it was just instantly available. There's some weirdness with SSL certs. Like I got some kind of signing errors and Chrome and Safari wouldn't let me continue, but I think it was just some kind of maybe some old certs or something hanging around, but it's okay now, I think. Pretty, pretty cool. You know, I for something that's a simple static site, I really hate relying on services. Like ideally I'd con- I want to be able to just throw this up on uh, you know, a DigitalOcean instance of yeah. <laughs> static hosting and call it a day or S3, right? Which in theory I could do if I do uh Nux generate with static now and just throw it up there. But man, it's just it's just too easy. It's just too easy with Netlify, two clicks. I mean, if you wanted to own it, you could do um you could use Daku because they do you have a, Daku, they have yeah. a build pack for static sites, but um Netlify yeah. is so good. It really is good. Yeah, I mean I guess really what it comes down to is I have the option to do that if I want to, but yeah. but why bother? And Netlify's not going anywhere. They're not evil. They're not going to do anything weird. The other concern was also just the tooling. Like this is a site that doesn't change very often. It's a very simple site. And so my inclination has always been to sort of use as minimal use the minimal amount of tooling as possible. And this feels like overkill, but man, it's <laughs> it is so easy. It's just I don't even I don't even care if it lasts 5 years and uh, you know, Nux.js stops working. I'll fix it or try something new. Who cares? Yeah. I I know we're getting a little bit long here, but I saw an interesting conversation on Twitter where someone was basically saying, you know, the, the, the mantra, like always bet on JavaScript. They're basically saying, yeah, but for how long? Like they think that the, the idea of always betting on JavaScript or JavaScript being a safe bet is going to fade out within the next few years or next couple of years or whatever. What do you like? What's your off the cuff just reaction to the idea that JavaScript will go away and it's not a, not a safe bet for the next decade? If we had an inkling of something that might be replacing it now, like if there were if there were people making waves about some cool new tech now that is bleeding edge and people claimed was good enough to replace JavaScript, then that would make you start to pause and think. I think I think the argument was Wasm. Well, yeah, so that, that was the first thing that comes to mind, actually, right, is, mm-hmm. is WebAssembly, which is not a silver bullet because WebAssembly is just a, a target, right? You still have to write things for it. You're not writing WebAssembly, you know, by hand. So sure. So that's not a completely solved problem in terms of c- converging on a, on a common tool set. Maybe one will, one will rise up. I'm sure it will. The web is bigger now than it's ever been. It's not getting any smaller. And that, that only means that there's just going to be more and more JavaScript to support over the years. So yeah, maybe some point JavaScript will be legacy, but there's always going to be work supporting it. And there's still Fortran jobs, for Christ's sake. Right. Yeah. So, because I've been thinking about that a lot, right? Because I've been going through this like tour of languages, like Elixir to, to Go, uh, to PHP, um, now a little bit of Ruby, but probably mostly Node, if I'm being honest. Uh, and... And I've had people ask me that in the past, like, what do you have against JS? Like, why isn't that the default? And I, my, my answer was always, because I like other languages better, and I think some languages are better suited for, Elixir's great for real time, right? Um, it's going to be hard to beat that. You could do it in JS, uh, and there probably wouldn't be anything wrong with doing that in JS, but that's like Elixir's tailored for that, right? Um, but I've been thinking about that idea a lot of, of yes, I do like Laravel. PHP is pretty okay. Laravel is great. Um, I do like Elixir a lot. Um, I like Phoenix. You know, I don't have tons of experience in Ruby. Go is interesting, but once you 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 kind of mentioned earlier, like the tooling is there and it's really it's like getting really good. So you might as well just use it because it's there, right? You could you, you could have gone with Jekyll or something similar, but the tooling is there and you're familiar. And why why not? You know. And so that's kind of where I'm getting to now is. As maybe maybe especially with TypeScript, right? Like, I can do really anything I need to do, or anything a client would need me to do in just JavaScript. And chances are they would be able to find someone to take over maintenance pretty easily, right? Uh, because tons of people write JavaScript. And then if you're thinking about larger systems, TypeScript, you know. So, I definitely don't want to be complacent. Like, I want to keep learning. Like, I still do want to learn C Sharp and all that stuff. And I feel like I, in the past couple of months, I've been kind of going back and forth on things just because, like, different interviews and prospects. But um, that that was just something that I was thinking about this week is is that'll probably end up being my default 
going forward. Like I like again, I do appreciate and enjoy Laravel, but I'm gonna have to be really proficient in in JS and Node. So I think in the interest of being really proficient in that, it makes sense to go all in on it. So here's the thing about JavaScript. I'm a proponent of using the right tool for the job, right? We use JavaScript in the browser because kind of we had to, because it, it, it was a language that was supported in all browsers. And in order to get interactivity in a browser, use JavaScript, end of story. Like there was no, there was, there was, that was it. JavaScript had won in the browser wars in the land of the browser. Fine. When you take that and you voluntarily run that on a server with no browser involved at all, that was what really offended me <laughs> with Node.js. It still does. It's still sure. just just offensive on its face because JavaScript in the browser is not even good. Like, we use it because we have to. And then you take this language that's objectively bad and you choose to run it on the server where there's tons of competing server technologies that are better in every conceivable way as, like, just looking at, like, raw language features itself and sure. maybe performance and runtime memory and errors and exceptions and you know who knows whatever you could concurrency yeah yeah so like that's what that's what always bother me about no, about node and v8 and everything around that and obviously i've come to terms with it because it's nothing about the language that i particularly like the tooling is really what got me there the the community around it the the ability to actually create things and just mm-hmm. sit down mm-hmm. and, and bang out a project right Nux also does have an advantage where it sort of it does leverage the fact that okay we have JavaScript in the on the browser and in the server and that's how they get their cool SSR stuff and that's neat but also feels really gross to me. <laughs> sure, it's amazing that it works at all. Yeah. So, yeah. I guess what I'm trying to say is uh, I don't know where I was going with this other than uh, well I think you landed on you learned to accept it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did. It's fine. It's it's fine, but. I never really liked it. <laughs> That's fair enough. It's not even Stockholm syndrome because, like, I I don't it, I haven't really changed my mind about the language itself. It's just all it's just the pile hacks on top of it to make it make it palatable. That makes it makes it okay. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'd be interested to hear. Obviously, I don't have tons of experience with TypeScript right now, uh, but I'd be interested to hear. Uh, what you would, what you feel would, or what you, if your mind changes at all, or not that it would have to change, but like what you would feel about TypeScript or the different impressions it would give you comparing and contrasting just to, because you do like, you know, I've built a spa before, but it was general, you know, UI stuff. Whereas you've done like a lot of real time and like application style things. So I feel like you have a little bit different of experience than I do in that realm. So I'd be really interested to hear about any experiences with TypeScript there, positive or negative. I will say that when I was younger, I was writing C-sharp applications in WinForms. I had this little nugget of an idea in my brain. Wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great if there's some kind of uniform way, platform agnostic, to present UI to any operating system, Windows, Mac, Linux, whatever? And of course, I just didn't expect that platform to be the web, right? Like, I expected it to be something more native experience, something where you could, like, stream metadata about a ui and it could build a real native user interface and and sort of you know you could have that experience a native experience but with content that's delivered to you over the web and i guess that's never going to happen because the web and all the technologies around just ui and all that stuff are just out of control now and they'll never be matched and we end up with electron and you know what it's fine i'm putting on my rose colored glasses for sure if i mean listen if wasm takes off and there's there's good stuff for that like i will i'm definitely interested to check that out yeah i'd be interested too definitely but we gotta do what we gotta do sometimes i guess mm-hmm. but yeah that was my final thought really wanted to get your opinion on that well should we bring the ship down let's sink it along with javascript with no lifeboats well, I'm sure I, I stirred up some feelings uh, about the last question. So if anyone wants to let me know what those feelings are about JavaScript and always bending on JS and is it expiring? Does it have an expiration date on it? Uh, I'd love to hear that. You're going to send us that feedback on Twitter, DNC cast for the show. Sean Washbot is where you can find Sean. And Shrockwell is me. Uh, I mentioned a lot of articles and different 
things today and those are all going to be in the show notes so if you want access to or are looking for something specific you can head on over to dnc.show and find it there and if you want to watch us record live we're on twitch.tv slash dnccast thursday nights 6 pacific 9 p.m eastern come swing by and say hi but uh, last but not least, thanks to, to Spec for having us, putting us out there and supporting us. And, uh, you know, we wouldn't have met and made so many new friends if it weren't for them. So, you know, I want to say thanks to them every week. And if you're into other design and development related podcasts, head on over to spec.fm and check them out. So it probably has lots of JavaScript on it. Uh, it's made with Next, I'm 100% sure. Oh, there you go. I have access to the repo. That's how I know. <laughs> cool. Definitely go poke around and create some PRs. <clears throat> you could. All right, we'll talk to you. In, we'll talk to you next time. Good luck. Have a good, have a good day tomorrow.